All right, thank you for the wonderful singing this morning. You can open your Bibles, please, to 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6. Eventually, we will have worked our way from verses 12 to the end of the chapter. I'd like to just read a couple of verses before we pray. 2 Samuel 6, and if we can, please, let's begin reading at verse number 20. 2 Samuel 6 and verse 20. 2 Samuel 6 and verse 20. The Bible says, Then David returned to bless his household. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, who uncovered himself today in the eyes of the handmaids of his servants as one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovereth himself. You might remember the story. David had come back dancing and playing. The Bible uses the word playing before the Lord. He's just rejoicing. He's worshiping God in a very particular manner. And Michal, that's his wife, is upset with this. Verse 21, David said unto Michal, It was before the Lord which chose me before thy father. And before all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel. Therefore will I play before the Lord and I will yet be more vile than thus. Which is another way of saying you ain't seen nothing yet. You thought that was bad. It's going to get worse. And I will yet be more vile than thus and will be base in mine own sight. And of the maidservants which thou hast spoken of, of them shall I be had in honor. Based on what we've read and what we're going to read, I'd like to preach a sermon for you this morning called, You Can Do That Here. You Can Do That Here. And specifically, I'm talking about worshiping God uh, in, in this way and in any right and appropriate way. You can do that here. Let's take it to the Lord in prayer. Father, please uh, continue working in our hearts. I've already felt you stirring in mine just through the singing. Thank you for the wonderful lesson we already had this morning. We want to hold fast to things that are good. And Father, these good things, I know we're going to find them in your word. Please speak to us. Help me as a preacher, God. Get me out of the way and just fill me with your spirit. And uh, use me today as a vessel to communicate your message to these people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, if you're familiar with the whole story, at the beginning of chapter 6, David had a plan to bring back the ark of God and put it in its rightful place. This is actually a plan that had been waiting for almost, well, maybe even a little more than 500 years. If you read through the book of Deuteronomy, over and over again, you'll find this phrase that the Lord would build his house and bring the ark and all the necessary furniture of the temple and put it in the place which the Lord shall choose to place his name there. That's the phrase you'll find. He will put it in a place which the Lord shall choose to place his name there. I can picture David reading through his Bible and finding that phrase over and over again and thinking, God has brought everything together. I think God might allow me to actually bring the ark back to Jerusalem, the place which God has chosen, and put it in this tabernacle that David planned for the building of it. Solomon would eventually build it, but this was step one. Before you can have a temple, before you can have anything called a house of God, you need to have God's presence with you. And the ark of the covenant 
That is where God promised to manifest his presence. So what David is doing, he is creating a structure or an environment, an atmosphere that invites the presence of God. Now, he put everything in order. He said, guys, you can just quickly look at it if you want. In verse 3, they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah, and Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Ahinadab, or Abinadab, rather, drave the new cart. David had this plan. Get an ox cart, pull the ark of God home. That was the most convenient way to do it, quickest way to do it. Convenient and quick do not often go well with right. <laughs> convenient isn't always wrong, but it's not always right either. And you might know the story as... Uzzah and Ahio are guiding this cart uh, back. The oxen are pulling it. The oxen hit a bump. No doubt it was a South African road. They hit a pothole. <laughs> they hit a pothole. <laughs> and when they hit the pothole, <laughs> the, the oxen stumbled. The cart began to shake. And Uzzah put forth his hand to steady the ark. He had no ill intentions. He only was trying to help. But God zapped him right there for that and Uzzah fell down and died on the spot and hence they named the place Perez Uzzah which is a breach upon Uzzah and David for three months they removed the ark of God put it in another place in the house of Obed-Edom and David was afraid he thought God must be thoroughly angry with me I was trying to do something right I was trying to create this atmosphere where everybody could come and worship God and rejoice in God's presence and everything just went to pieces. You ever tried to do that? Tried to get your life back on track and tried to get things going in the right direction and you're rejoicing in the Lord. You think, man, I've got it figured out. Here we go. And then blah, it just all falls to pieces. It explodes in your face. You think, what, what did I do? And in the moment, you think that's it. I must not be fit to worship God. There's just something wrong with me. God is not going to accept whatever praise and whatever worship I would like to give him. Now, in the three months between Uzzah dying and the rest of the story, David had his Bible out. Now, we know this because in 1 Chronicles chapter 15, we have this same story. It gives us a few extra details. And David started studying his Bible, looking for the answer as to why his worship was rejected. Because if you look at it, they had the cart with the oxen pulling the cart. They had the ark on the cart. David was dancing and praising the Lord. He was all excited. He thought he was on to something. As he started to study, he realized, wait a minute, that cart with those oxen, that's how the Philistines moved their gods back and forth. That's not how we're commanded to do it. God commanded that the Levites have to carry that ark on these staves and, and that's the way God prescribed it. And David realized his mistake and once he realized, it took him three months, Three months of Bible study. That encourages me, right? I, I'm so glad that, that a prophet, a man like David, it took him three months to figure it out. Think, surely God will give me three years, 30 years, right? I'm not David. It took him a few months, but he finally got it. He finally got it. And then starting in verse number 12, we're going to see how he, he figures out how he can properly worship the Lord. Before I start reading in verse 12, can I direct your attention to the outline that you should have? I'd like to read a quote for you from A.W. Tozer's book called Worship. By the way, if you haven't read that book, I highly, highly recommend it. He has this to say, I believe a local church exists to do corporately 
what each Christian believer should be doing individually, and that is to worship God. So what we've gathered to do, brethren, we have met to worship. This we're doing corporately, what you should have been, what we should have been doing all week individually. It is to show forth the excellencies of him who hath called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. It is to reflect the glories of Christ ever shining upon us through the ministries of the Holy Spirit. I do hope that all week you have been basking in the glow of God's glory, that you have been thinking about how great he is, not just in the universal sense because his handiwork is all over the place. You can see it everywhere you look, but you can also see it in your life. I hope you've taken time to recognize and talk about and thank God for those excellencies that Tozer spoke of. As you come now to verse number 12, we'll see four quick things about this passage. It says, It was told King David, saying, The Lord hath blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that pertaineth unto him because of the ark of God. Well, isn't that just wonderful? Obed-Edom, he didn't plan on this. He sure is glad David made this mistake. <laughs> I mean, he had three months in the, in the very intense presence of God. And uh, all was well with Obed-Edom. Matter of fact, it's an interesting Bible study if you ever want to do it. Follow Obed-Edom's life after this. He was chasing the presence of God after this for the rest of his life. Everywhere that ark went, he was chasing it around. Anybody want to be a doorkeeper in the house of God? Just open the door for people when they come in? Obed-Edom was there. He did. He started volunteering for everything because he knew the power of living in God's presence. In verse number 12, it goes on to say, So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. Even though three months prior, horrible mistake, heartbroken, afraid of God. Now he's back on track and ready to do something excellent. Verse 13, It was so that when they that bear the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings. No doubt, six steps into it, he goes, okay, stop. Don't you know the Levites were a little bit nervous at this point? <laughs> Maybe there was a pothole and he says, stop, let's <laughs> fill the pot. This is where it all went wrong. Who knows? I don't know why he chose six paces, but he did. And he says, stop right there, guys. Stop right there. Man, this is wonderful. What we tried to do and failed, God gave us a second chance. God's not finished with us. Man, this is wonderful. We just need to real quick recognize how great God is. Bring some animals. Let's offer up a proper sacrifice, one that is in accordance with God's word. And let's just thank God in a way that he wants to be thanked. He, he couldn't get six steps out the door before he stopped and said, man, whoo, whoo, whoo. It's, good to, it's good to serve God. It's good to know God. It's good to feel God's patience and forgiveness and mercy. I think David is recognizing here, he's learned something about the Lord, that it's fine to worship God. You can do that here. You can worship God, praise God all you want, but there are boundaries to it. Boundaries do exist. There are some right ways to worship God. There are some wrong ways to worship God. David learned it the hard way. David learned it the hard way. If God forbids a certain practice, if God says this is not a very appropriate or not a right behavior, then you can't justify it with, well, I felt like it. Or this is what I'm used to, or this is what I wanted to do. 
Well, it worked for the Philistines. Why can't it work for us? That's not a justification for doing something against what God has revealed. I've given you the verse on your paper. Can I draw your attention to John chapter 4, verse 22? John 4, 22, Jesus says to the woman at the well there in Samaria, ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. Verse 23, but the hour cometh, and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Watch this next line. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. The Father's looking for something this morning. He's looking for people to worship him. But he's looking, notice it carefully, for true worshipers. There is a right way to do it. The way that the Samaritan woman that was having this conversation with Jesus, the way they worshiped, it was wrong. And Jesus said, you know not what you worship. We know who we worship. We know what we worship. We know why we're doing this. In verse 24, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Let me point this out to you. We don't need more Samaritan worship. That is a worship that proceeds from ignorance. Well, this is how we've always done it. This is our culture. We in Samaria, we go to Mount Gerizim. We do that. We do this, and we're done. They did not have a personal knowledge, a personal relationship with God. And if worship does not start there, then it's not the kind of worship God is looking for. It starts with you personally recognizing who God is and how he has interacted with your life. I teach you this in discipleship about worship. It's recognizing just how great God is and then telling him about it. When's the last time you told God just how great he is? Husbands, when's the last time you sat your wife down and said, Honey, sit down. I got to talk to you for about 30, 40 minutes. I want to tell you how great you are. I said 30 or 40. (laughs) Let me tell you how great. We sit down that long when we want to (laughs) complain. When it's time for compliments, sit down, honey. This is going to take a couple hours. I want to tell you just how, how much I love you and why. She might appreciate that. I'll tell you somebody that definitely will. Sit down with God and say, God, I just just got some stuff bubbling over in my heart. My cup is running over. I I just can't can't hold back any longer. God, I just got to tell you how much I, I love being your child. It is so good to think about you and to think that after you created this vast universe and set it all in order, spoke it into existence, stood back and said it is very good, then you actually took time to focus in on my life and you have counted the number of hairs on my head. You're that interested in me. God, I'm blown away by you and I've got to tell you about it. Jesus said, woman, you don't know what you worship. God wants true worshipers. There's a right way to do it. He said in spirit and in truth. It's more than just a feeling, although feelings are involved in this. Let's not say that they're not. They're there. Spirit and in truth. Nadab and Abihu, are we familiar with these names? The book of Leviticus. I know it's your favorite book, so surely (laughs) Leviticus chapter 10 is exciting stuff. But God had commanded certain spices to be put together by the apothecary, we would say a chemist, put them together, and then they they would be burnt as incense. And God specifically forbade any other combinations to be made. You cannot bring strange smells into the house of God. Nadab and Abihu completely ignored that. 
Leviticus 10 verse 1, they put together incense, they put it in their censers, they tried to approach God, and the Bible says they brought strange fire before the Lord. Ironically enough, the next verse says fire came down from God and consumed those men. God, God says, if you, you want fire, I can bring fire too. Strange fire. Now see, to look at Nadab and Abihu and say, well, listen, you just worship God whatever way you want. You can't say that. You can't say that. There are boundaries to it, and we need to respect those boundaries. David learned you need to, if you're going to approach God, do it scripturally, do it according to the Bible. He says, put it on staves and carry it in. You don't need to try to employ worldly methods of the Philistines when you're trying to serve God. True worship comes from knowing God and standing in awe of Him. So let me make this clear. When God blows you away with His godness, I just made up an English word, so I hope you know what that means. When God blows you away with His godness, you're allowed to express that emotion. You can do that. Listen, you can do that here. You can do that here right here, right now. You can do it here. When you get home, say it again. I can do it here. <laughs> when you get to work, I can do that here. Now listen, I am going to say as we go further, there is always an appropriate way to do this. We're not asking you to act the fool. We are asking you to be true to what God is working in your heart. The next thing, look at verses 14 to 16. Point one Boundaries exist. If you want to write them down on your paper, I do have four points this morning. Boundaries exist. Point two, worshiping God can be boisterous and energetic. Boisterous and energetic. Verses 14 to 16, the Bible says, And David danced before the Lord with all his might. With all his might. Well, he put his back into this one. It says, And David was girded with a linen ephod. Now, we don't really have anything in, that I know of that uh, equates to that now with the way we dress. A tunic, if you're familiar with a tunic, might be the closest thing that comes to this. This is not Jewish underwear. I've heard some people say that, that that's not what he has here, but it's like a bit of a, a longish T-shirt that starts here at the neck and then goes down to the knee. That's, he, has, he has that on. Now, David, this is not indecent to have this on, but typically the king would never walk around in public just wearing this one piece of clothing. He'd always have something else over that. And David did. In 1 Chronicles 15, you read about this linen ephod. You also re read about a robe made of fine linen. And that's why later on when Michal says you undressed, you uncovered yourself, he took off that outer layer. And he was acting in a way that kings would not normally act. Kings are often very, well, they try to be very dignified and stoic. And David was not acting like that. Verse 15, so David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with what, what, what was going on? Isn't this ironic? I can't, get, I can't get the smallest peep on this one. They brought it up with what? Shouting. Isn't that what it says? You can do that here, by the way. You, you can. You say, that's not how we do things. All right, Mr. Philistine, but <laughs> you can do that here. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. 
Now, granted, shouting in this context is appropriate. There's a lot of noise already going on, right? If everything's quiet and the pastor's trying to make a point, it would be awkward and distracting to just out of nowhere go, woohoo! <laughs> right? That, that would just, everybody would turn and the focus would be off of the sermon and on to you. That, that may not be the right way to express something. But I'll tell you this, if you're really excited about something and you try to hold it in too long, you'll hurt yourself. <laughs> you can't hold in all that good pressure. <laughs> Eventually, your head will explode. Now, you know this is true. That there's always a right time and a right way to do it. Uh, I, I'm not much of a rugby guy, but I've watched a few matches. I, I did this when I watched American football uh, way, way back in the day. If your team is playing and it's a close match, and your team scores right at the last minute, what is, the, what is a possible and typical South African reaction to that? If the Springboks last minute win the World Cup, what, what do we do to that? Do, do we, we're watching the television, we see it happen, we do what? We, we what, nod? <laughs> Praise Dihira. <laughs> I mean, that's probably not what you're going to do, right? It, it just it wouldn't seem to fit that situation. Generally, there would be a... Can you imagine a, a, a Raktobursian? He sees the springbok, and he says, Ja, Fricky. This by a hoot. That Bursian will explode. He will die from not shouting. <laughs> You can't hold in that much excitement. It means something to him. He's been thinking about the big game all week or all month or all year, and now it's finally come to pass, and he just has to express that emotion. Anything wrong with that? No. No, nothing wrong with that. You can do that there. That's perfectly fine. Maybe you've been praying about something for a while, a week, a month, a year. And God has finally brought it all together and you've seen that answer to prayer. Your family's finally getting along. You and your wife have made things right. You finally have found a way to stop worrying about everything in your life and hand it over to God and you feel the peace of God that passes all understanding, ruling in your heart, keeping your hearts and minds through Christ. You're clinging to His prayer. When you see God do those kind of things and you've been waiting for weeks, months, years, it's hard to just stand there and go, yeah, yeah, fricky. Uh, this hut, this hut. No, it's much more than hut. It's hutter. It's it's it's. <laughs> it's the hutsta thing. It's it's the. Be <laughs> I am butchering Afrikaans. It's perfectly fine. I know that I'm doing it, and it's okay. I can do that here. <laughs> I can do that here. I'm an American in South Africa. I can get away with that stuff. It's not wrong. Now, you know what would be wrong? Have, have we come, come to verse 16? Let, let's look at this. Verse 16, And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. Now, we're going to deal more with Michal's reaction towards the end of the sermon. I just want you to see that King David, a man after God's own heart, he is worshiping God, and in this instance, it is boisterous, and energetic. I, I, I want to also, if I can tie this to point one, boundaries still exist. Boundaries are still there. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 32, the Bible says, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. At all times, you need to be in control of yourself. 
The idea of I was just so overwhelmed, I lost my mind, I lost control of my body, and something just started doing things through me and speaking through me. That, that's where you see people sometimes, you know, they fall on the floor and start to wiggle. And st- that, you don't see that biblically uh, being done. It's not, it's not commended in the Bible. You do see it in the Bible, right? Actually, all of you know that it exists in the Bible. When Jesus saw that happening, he would cast out the unclean spirit and heal that person. You can say amen right there. You can do that here. <laughs> you can do that here. You can say amen to that because that is what happened. So there are boundaries to this. You need to be in control of yourself. But sometimes you get so excited about the things of God that the way you manifest your joy is a bit energetic and boisterous. Let me give you a few examples, and maybe you're familiar with these things, maybe not. In the early 1900s, there was a great revival in Wales. They called it the Welsh Revival. And during that time, the preachers were very energetic and uh, nothing like I am now. I have mellowed a lot in the last few years. Have I not? Church, right? I have. I used to have to bring a towel. Uh, This is no secret. I used to have a towel because I would get to moving around energetic. So I've slowed down a lot. My voice struggles have have helped me to mellow a bit. But these guys back in the day, whoo, you, you thought I was energetic. Nothing like these guys. And they would get so worked up that the crowd would also get worked up. Now, some of them, I, as I've read the stories, I think they probably got a little too, too energetic. But they became known as the Welsh pew jumpers or just the Welsh jumpers. During the service, they get so excited, they would start jumping up and down where they were standing or you know, in their place where they're seated. They jump up and get excited and start jumping over the pews. Now this turned into, in some churches in America, I've seen it done where they, they run the pews. So you can't do it in our church because we just have these chairs. They would step up on the back of the pew. Now most like a church pew is nailed to the ground so it's not gonna tip. They'd step on the back and then they would just go over the pews just praising God as they went. I don't think that's very smart or safe. <laughs> You're going to hurt yourself. You're going to hurt somebody else. Probably a better way to do it. But it's a little, I'm just saying that people can get boisterous and energetic and that happens. I'm not telling you to do it. Please, everybody take a deep breath collectively. (laughs) (sighs) We're not in Wales, (laughs) right? You don't have to do that. I've seen this done. I've been in church services where this happened. I have not done this. But in the church where I went to Bible school, it happened fairly often we'd call it running the bases and it usually happens while we're singing but man a song would just get so good and people's hearts get stirred up and and young man just wouldn't know what to do he'd just take off running and he would just run up one aisle across the front down the back cross the we have one guy he was in his 60s and uh he couldn't run as fast as he once did he got excited he couldn't run but he could skip so he, I kid you not, he took his hanky out and he starts skipping it woo, <laughs> up on the stage, on the platform. The song leader's here and, and Brother Eubanks has come behind and go, woo, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. <laughs> now, I must admit, I, I enjoyed watching Brother Eubanks do that. That's, now, I, I haven't done that. I don't know if I'd ever do it. I'm not asking you to do it. Don't worry. You feel like running? 
Some of you guys get up at five in the morning and run every day. You won't do it in church. That's okay. <laughs> that's all right. You say, but that's just strange to us. Okay, I'm not telling you to do it. I'm just saying some folks, they get excited. That's what they do. Um, I, this I, I have done actually once or twice. Um, in, in the church where I was, we have these songbooks. They're blue, but we have the same one. And then we had another smaller book, uh, paperback one. And sometimes, man, the singing, you guys sing really well. But when you have eight, 900 people singing at the top of the, oh man, it really gets good. And we would take those smaller hymn books and one day somebody was singing about casting their crowns before the throne. And the closest thing we had to a crown was those songbooks. <laughs> so we said, praise the Lord. <laughs> and up that songbook would go. We probably had 50 songbooks up on the, on the platform. It was all going well until one day some guy misaimed, And he went, praise the Lord. <laughs> Bam, right in the middle of that person's face. I am not saying these are all good ideas. I'm just saying, please do not throw the hymn book at me, right? Like, preacher, that's a good idea. I'm not, I'm not saying we have to try them. I'm just saying that there's other things that could be done. I, I, like I said, I did that once or twice, but I always aimed carefully off to the side. I always did. I'll tell you one thing I did. This is more my speed. I was never the runner. I would say amen. I would shout. I would say praise the Lord when it was appropriate, right? You can feel when the pastor's trying to make that louder type of point, then I would also fill in that, that, that blank. But one time I was in Arkansas in a church and somebody got up to sing and my goodness, that song. Even as I think about it now, that song just started stirring in my heart. And I was in the meeting, Brother Dobbins, you know, in Zambia, he was there with me. Dobbins is much more quiet and reserved than me. And that's, that's, that's his problem. That's not my problem. I can do this here. <laughs> you can do that here. So I, I, that song got to going, and I got to the edge of my chair. And then I was doing this bit. Woo! Woo! <laughs> yes, amen. Yes, yes, amen. Now, it wasn't quiet like you folks are. Everybody else was amening as well, so I was not distracting anyone. It was just, you know, how, how it operated there. And I got a little into it. I started, woo, 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 I oh, man. I started stomping my foot. And Brother Jim Chandler, he's the pastor there, big fella, taller than Garrett. And Brother Chandler, he got up after the song, and he's southern, real southern like this right here. And he said, I, I hope you folks saw Brother Flick down here in the front. He thought he was a horse. <laughs> so I was pawing out the ground like a horse ready to charge, man. I was excited. I was excited. Now, see, that, that's in, in Wales, they did one thing. And a few churches in America, they do that. Not every church I went to was like that. Now remember, I've visited a lot of churches just as a missionary, so I've been, been able to see quite a few different ways to do it. When I got to Malawi, very different. You know, one of the most exciting times in a Malawian church service is when we take up the offering. I, one day, we've got to try it here. We, just one Sunday, we should try it here. When we take up the offering in Malawi, we put the plate in the front, and everybody, as they're coming to give, right? The Bible says, do it cheerfully. So we take that to heart. So while we're giving, everybody's, and you clap and dance while you come forward, drop your money in, and then clap and dance all the way back. The first few weeks, being as white as I am, but 
this is a little different. This is a little different. But I must admit, by the time I left, I was looking forward to that stuff. I really want to try it this morning. <laughs> you can do that here. There's a song we sing. I, 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 I will sing it in Chewa, then I will interpret it. Don't worry, I won't keep you too long this morning, but you need to learn this. We sing this song. It's called Pali Beho Fanandi Yesu. That's the name. Pali Beho Fanandi Yesu. Pali Beho Fanandi Yesu. Sadza Pezezaka. So, what, what we're saying is there's nobody like Jesus. Nobody like Jesus. There's nobody like Jesus. It will never be found. He will never be found. No one ever like him will ever be found. And then we sing this part. So means I walked around everywhere, everywhere. And then and then I spun around looking everywhere. That I'm searching everywhere. And in the conse conse part, you have to like, pick, I'm searching everywhere. I'd go up to little kids, have a shirt pocket, you know, and I'd look in their pocket. That, I'd love to try that. If you're physically able, would you stand? Could you join me with this? You can do that here. If you don't want to, you don't have to. This is not mandatory. It's not mandatory. I'm just, I'm just wondering, do you agree with me this morning that we're never going to find anybody like Jesus? Is that true? Simple truth, but a very real truth, all right? So I don't expect you to sing along. I'll do the singing. You just do the movements with me. So it, it, you can clap. Well, some of you are so white you can't, but <laughs> the, re the rest of you can, right? Good, you may be seated. <laughs> Say, Brother Mike, why are you doing this? Just to show you that you can do it here. <laughs> you can do that here. Now, to counterbalance my point, this is not how David worshiped God every day. This was not a week, weekly occurrence, was it? The story that we're studying, 2 Samuel 6. Whew, it's been a while since I've done that. <laughs> Got to catch my breath. <laughs> it's not like David said, all right, Israel, every Saturday, right, Sabbath, do we come to the temple and this is how we have to worship. Please do not think that I'm trying to hook you into this is how you have to express yourself towards the Lord. It is not. David worshiped God in so many different ways. There's a time and a place for boisterous and energetic. However, David would often write music and sing it 
to the Lord individually. David would sometimes study his Bible and in so doing, go so deep in that Bible study, learn more about God and end up saying, God, I, I marvel at your word. Your word, you've, ex- you've magnified it above all your name. And in so doing, he would worship God just through studying his Bible. David would sometimes humbly ask God, please help me, teach me, forgive me. And in so doing, the Bible says he was worshiping God. At other times, David, the same David, would go out and say, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. David would just step outside and take in nature for a few moments. He would look at the sun, the moon, the stars, and how God has brought it all together, and he would worship God based on God's handiwork. Then he would say, God, I I will praise thee for me, my body, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. David could look out, he could look in, he could look all around in his life. There were so many things he could do to say, God, you are awesome. How great thou art. How great thou art. So please don't think that there's just one right way to do it. But sometimes it does get boisterous and it does get energetic and I'm trying to tell you that's okay. That's okay. Your version of energetic is going to be different than mine. My definition of energetic 10 years ago, different than my definition today. Physical limitations. Turn your Bible to Luke chapter 19. Hold your place in 2 Samuel. Luke 19. You guys did exceptionally well with that chorus, by the way. Wow, I'm impressed. I am impressed. Well done. Well done. Luke chapter 19. Luke 19, let's get verse 37. Jesus is making his triumphant, triumphal entry into Jerusalem, riding on the back of that donkey. And in verse 37, And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God. And with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. They had been watching Christ for three and a half years. And they said, man, this this is the prophet. This is the one. Now, in their minds, Jesus is coming to be inaugurated as king. They didn't even understand the whole death, burial, and resurrection at this point. But they are so excited that the king is entering into Jerusalem. And here he is on the back of that donkey, just like Zechariah 9 said that he would. They're so excited. They cannot hide it. Loud voices praising God. Verse 38 saying, Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They're shouting these things as he's entering in. Verse 39. And some of the Philistines, I mean Pharisees, from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately get boisterous and energetic. (laughs) The stones will immediately cry out, wow, you just explode if you hold back all this admiration and adoration that you have for God. This was an exciting moment. It deserved an exciting response. The ones that were not excited by it were frustrated 
irritated, angry that others were excited. And I want you, I'm putting that in the back of your, of your mind because what the Pharisees did here is precisely what Michal does in our story in 2 Samuel 6. Her attitude towards how other people are expressing their joy, their adoration of God, that was the problem. If you would come back to 2 Samuel now. Sometimes, not always, worshiping God can be boisterous and energetic. The next thing I'd like you to see in this passage, verses 17 to 19, blessings for everyone. This is a good day, and David's not afraid to show it. Verse 17, and they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in his place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had pitched for it. He had planned this out. This was premeditated worship. And I, to be honest, I've struggled with this a bit as I've thought this through this week. But is it right to command people to worship God? That's why I paused for a moment before I had you stand and sing and dance with me. I thought, is it, is it right for me to force you into that? And I did give you a way out. I did, if you're not physically able, if you don't want to do it, you don't have to. Is it right to to have a command, this is when we get excited and we show it. Well, I think what's right is for me to offer that structure and that atmosphere and that opportunity to say, if you would like to, at this point, tell us how good God is and show that, you can do that here. But at the same time, I can't force you to do that or to participate in it because Maybe you, are, you haven't experienced the same thing as the person next to you. Maybe this is a week where you're filled with tears more than shouts of praise. So I can't force that into anybody's life. However, David, he has prepared a structure, a plan. He says, I'm, I'm going to pitch this tent, this tabernacle. We'll bring the ark of God in. This is going to be a great moment. And therefore, there is a structured form of worship. It doesn't have to just all of the sudden strike you out of nowhere. You don't wait around, sit around waiting for a feeling to hit you. Uh, we do this in church every week, don't we? We give you three or four songs to sing. Well, this is your chance while you're singing the song to let these words sink in and, and grab a hold of your heart and maybe a hand pops up. In my case, two went up this morning. That's okay. You can do that here. You can do that here. Uh, uh, Tim Hawkins, do we know this? comedian Tim Hawkins he said you know there's very various ways to worship God some people they they hold the tv right they carry the tv <laughs> so when they worship you know they, they're just carrying the tv like this and he says some people have a widescreen tv <laughs> they're out here like this and some people they're window washers <laughs> they just wash the window the whole time other people they're just waving at Jesus <laughs> there's all sorts of I don't care how you express it but you can and David said, now we've got a set time, we've got a structure, we'll bring the ark here, we'll place it there. And then he had offerings ready. And it says in verse 17, he pitched a tent, uh, uh, which David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. A burnt offering shows your dedication. A peace offering shows your thankfulness. So David knew, let me choose the right offerings that will properly express how I'm feeling. Verse 18, and as soon as David had made an end of offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. What, what is this blessing of the people? This is like saying, may you be, hop, uh, may be happy knowing God and 
serving God. Or may God's face shine upon you. May his hand rest upon you. It's that type of thing. So notice that David is blessing God first with the offerings. Then he blesses all the people corporately as a group. May God continue to work in your life. That type of thing. And then verse 19 It says, And he dealt among all the people, even among the whole multitude of Israel, as well to the women as men, to everyone a cake of bread and a good piece of flesh, and a flagon of wine. So all the people departed everyone to his house. So they got a cake, and a bottle of cool drink, and off they go. This is a pretty good deal. Everyone, not just the men. Usually this is something you give like one per family. He gave one to every individual. This is a massive act of generosity, but that's how good God had been to him. And he said, now I want, because my cup is overflowing. David had taken time to consider just how good God had been to him. And he said, I want that same happiness that I'm feeling, this same joy, I want my cup to run over and spill into everybody else's life. He said, I'll thank God, I'll praise God. And then I want the people to know, I'll tell them corporately. And then I want every individual, I want to touch their life and let them see just how good God has been. I would ask you to do the same thing David has done. Where does all this start? I mentioned it earlier, you knowing God personally. Paying attention to how good he's been in your life. Just think about it for a moment. This is premeditated. You have to purposefully think this out. What has he done in your life this past week? What answers to prayer has he given you this week? What victories over sin? Which temptations were you able to overcome? Mark it down. If you have to, write it down. And then when you're done writing it down, take time, each thing, one by one, and say, God, thank you so much for that. You, did, you didn't have to do that. that. I didn't deserve your help, but man, you've been good on that. And then when you get done thanking God for it, bring it to the small group meeting. Bring it to church and say, Pastor, I'd like to just give 10 seconds of testimony and tell everybody, God's been good. Just want you to know God's been good. And then when you're done here, take it home and say, family, sit down. I want to share this list with you. Man, I wrote it down. Here's what God's done in my life this week. I did this last night. Blew me away. I sat my family down. I said, tell me how good God's been to you. My little girl said, daddy, I asked God to help me not worry so much. And you know, I don't worry at all anymore. That's wonderful when, when an 11-year-old says, Daddy, I had an answer to prayer. Oh, man, that'll keep me going for months. <laughs> that'll keep me going for months. David said, blessings for everyone, and I want everybody to know about it. You know what I like up until this point, verses 16, 17, 18, 19? We know that Michal has a bit of an attitude problem, but she's still at home. Nobody knows about this yet. Up until now, everywhere David has gone and expressed himself, the community around him affirmed that behavior. Do you understand what I mean by that? They accepted it. They didn't condemn him for it. There was no judgmental, weird looks. David, why are you doing it? Nothing like that. They thought, well, look, man, David's excited about God. I could probably learn from that. Maybe if God had touched my life the way he touched David's, I'd also be excited. Everywhere he went, David felt comfortable. David felt comfortable to worship God according 
to what God was doing in his heart. Does that make sense? The reason I want you to really grasp that is because of what comes next in the story. Verse 20, we've read it, so we'll move quickly here. Then David returned to bless his household. Now, watch that part carefully. He returned to bless his household. God, let me bless you first. You gave it to me. Let me tell the whole congregation, God's been good. And may he continue to be good to you. And then he says, all right, every individual, I want you to go home happy and smiling. God's been good. He says, man, I want to go home and share this with my family. I want to go home and hug my wife and say, honey, God's been good. God's been good. Oh, he's been so merciful to me. I thought he was done with me three months ago. I thought I'd never get to worship the Lord or draw near unto him. And now God's let me bring the ark back and this is going good. Honey, I want to share this special moment with you. And when he got home, he found an atmosphere that did not invite worship. He found that when he got into that house, he could no longer speak up about the Lord freely but rather would be met with disdain and bitterness. In verse 20, Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, who uncovered himself today in the eyes of the handmaids of his servants, as one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovereth himself! Exclamation mark. She's upset. Notice she got loud too. Isn't that strange? The ones that will complain about the boisterous, energetic form of worship they'll be very quiet for that part but as soon as the service is over and they get outside they'll get real loud say like, did you see that oh did you see so and so can you believe it that's just disgusting it's just disgusting that's not how we do it Ugh. how many times do you think that guy said amen I mean, if you're not counting the lights because you're bored, you're counting the amens from somebody else. That's Miko. She offers sarcasm. Rather than saying, David, you're right, God has been good. David, you know what? I, I bet if Mikal had been praying for David for the last three months saying, God, please show my husband what went wrong. Please help my husband to get back in perfect fellowship with you. I bet she'd also be rejoicing if she had been on the same page with him trying to figure this out. But because she was not focused on what God was doing, she was focused on public opinion. How does this look in the eyes of the public? She's worried about political correctness. Look, what, look where her concern is. You've uncovered yourself in the eyes of the handmaids. Can you imagine what those other people think? That's why David's response in verse number 21, he says to Michal, it was before the Lord. Michal, I wasn't trying to impress anybody. I was excited about what God was doing and I was showing my worship and my attention and my affection towards God. And you know, if other people don't understand that, David was not doing anything outside of biblical boundaries. He was just excited. You can do that here. You can do that here. Can I point something out about this? Maybe you're not thinking this. Let, let me walk you through this entire thought. The problem is not Michal's demeanor. What I mean by that, if, if you are a quiet, stoic type of a person just by nature, and I know a lot of Afrikaners, that's, you grew up in a stiltekerk. I get it, right? You know, the idea of you even breathing loudly 
the pastor would call you out and the dumen he'd say, hey, 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 booty, calm down, you know. <laughs> Just have a little allergies. <laughs> he thinks you're getting excited. So maybe that's the way you were, you were brought up and you're just by nature a quieter person. Do not feel as if you're doing something wrong. The problem is not that Mikal is maybe a quiet, reserved person. That's fine. The problem is she's bitter because somebody else is different than her. So please, I want to make this abundantly clear. What's wrong in this story is her attitude towards somebody else worshiping God in spirit and in truth. What's wrong is if somebody else in the service wants to say amen or, or wants to say praise the Lord, wants to put a hand up, wants to, wants to run the hanky up and down and say, man, this is good to be saved. If they want to do that, help yourself. You can do that here. You can do that here. I would ask you to be mindful so that the attention of the service does not get focused on you and your behavior. We want it to remain on God and the very thing that got you so excited. But what's wrong is when somebody else next to you then goes, ugh and you've ruined their day because now that person, they say, I wouldn't do that. Okay, you don't have to. There's no command that says you have to show your emotions in one way or the other, but at least allow the other person to do it if they want to because they can do that here. They can do that here. That's perfectly fine. I had to be very careful as I put this sermon together. I, I want to... Driving this home so that you don't go out of here with the wrong idea. This is not a sermon to get our church to act one way instead of another. I'm quite happy. I'm quite happy and comfortable that when you do raise a hand or say amen or glory to God, I, that is genuine. I'm very much comfortable with how you express yourselves. I just am trying to point out Mikal's problem here, that little bit of bitterness down in her heart, that hardness in her heart, she just won't allow somebody else to have that same grace to say you can express it however you'd like I've given you a quote at the bottom of your paper let me read it along with you it's a longer quote but A.W. Tozer said it so well I didn't think I could improve upon it let me read it with you Tozer writes let me say two things here first now this is He's writing about worshiping God, right? First, I do not believe it is necessarily true that we are worshiping God when we are making a lot of racket. Amen, amen. I, I'd put three exclamation marks after that. You can worship God in a stiltekerk. You can. It is perfectly acceptable depending on what is being said and what is being done. If something grips your heart, you can just bow your head and let that... I want to say that that stirring of God in your heart just let it sink in for a bit no man God is good you don't even have to say it out loud you can just feel the, now now watch if Mikal is a loud boisterous energetic woman and she's running around going, praise the Lord praise the Lord and Mikal looks over at 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 Umfriki and Umfriki he is just as excited that song, that sermon, that thought has gripped his heart just as much. Umfriki doesn't own a handkerchief. Right? So it, it would be just as bad if Mikal looks at Fricky and says, Ah, Fricky, you're not worshiping God. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa, wait a minute. How did you get to that conclusion? Why are you... Con 
Is that a bird? Why are you condemning Fricky? Because he's not energetic. This isn't a story that says, okay, if you want to worship God, you have to be energetic. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story, if somebody else has been overwhelmed by God's goodness in their life and they want to show it, let them show it. If you want to bow your head and worship, worship that way. If you want to leap and dance and praise the Lord, worship that way. I think the moral of this story is when somebody is overcome by God's goodness, they should show it. And we want to create an atmosphere that invites genuine worship, both in church and in your home. Wouldn't it be nice sometime this week for your spouse to come home and say, can we talk about the goodness of God over dinner? Now think about that. Think about all the conversations you've had over dinner. Or maybe not over dinner. Maybe the lack of conversations. Wouldn't it be nice to sit down and say, let's talk about that. And to see your husband, to see your wife just overcome by it. You want to create an atmosphere that invites that. That doesn't condemn it, but invites it. Sorry, let's keep reading here. I get to preaching on this stuff. I do not believe it is necessarily true that we are worshiping God when we are making a lot of racket, but not infrequently worship is audible. When Jesus came into Jerusalem presenting himself as Messiah, there was a great multitude and there was a great noise. Second, I would warn those who are cultured, quiet, self-possessed, poised, and sophisticated that if they are embarrassed in church when some happy Christian says amen, they may actually be in need of some spiritual enlightenment. Now, what's, what's his problem? What, what is the problem he's pointing out? Not that somebody's quiet. Do you see that? He's not saying if you're quiet, that's a problem. He's saying if you are embarrassed because someone else does it, that's the problem. Do you understand? He says at the end here, the worshiping saints of God and the body of Christ have often been a little bit noisy. Now, if that bothers you, friend, it may be because you do not know the kind of spiritual blessings and delight the Holy Spirit is waiting to provide among God's worshiping saints. Do you see again the issue? Now, if that bothers you. This isn't a sermon about being, be loud or be quiet. That's between you and God. You be you. But be genuine. Be genuine. You want to praise God? You want to tell people how good he is? You want to do that with a shout? You want to do that with a loud amen? You want to do that with a nod of the head? Say, God, I'm just taken by you. Do it. You can do that here. When you get home, say it again. Go, I can do that here. But it's worth your time. I think he mentions it well. At the, in the last line that we just read it may be because you do not know the kind of spiritual blessings and delight the holy spirit is waiting to provide just take some time and do what david did think back over the last three months where god has brought you from to where you're at think about all those manifested undeserved kindnesses god has done in your life and then whatever emotion grabs a hold of your heart whatever thankfulness fills your heart make sure you do something about it don't hold back because you're worried about what someone else is going to think. You express that thankfulness to God. Let's all stand, if you would, please. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed.
heads bowed and eyes closed for a moment. We sang this earlier. I'd love to put this thought back in your mind. When I think that God, His Son not sparing, sent Him to die, I scarce can take it in. Let let that sink in there. When I think. When's the last time you thought about that? I mean, really thought about what it took for God to send His Son to die in our place. When I think that God, His Son not sparing, sent Him to die, I scarce can take it in. I can barely contain that thought. It's just so good. That on the cross, my burden, gladly bearing, He bled and died to take away my sin. When He thinks on that, then sings my soul, my Savior God to Thee, how great Thou art. How great thou art. Where does it start? Thinking about how good God's been. In order to do that, you need to know Him personally. That's where true worship is going to come from. True worship is not bottled up in following this ritual or that. It doesn't happen because so-and-so in the church did it. Let me just follow that example. comes from you genuinely knowing God and how good He is. Father, please help us here in this this time of worship. We sang it earlier. We have come. We have met to worship. How can we ever thank you enough for how good you've been? Thank you, God, for sending your Son. Thank you, God, for being so patient with us, teaching us day by day, walking with us. Thank you for the Holy Spirit being alongside us each step of this journey God please help us in this church to create an atmosphere that invites genuine worship I I don't care Lord I don't care God what it looks like I don't care what it sounds like I just want it to be real and even God if it's different from week to week just please help us God to worship you with all that is within us Lord, I especially pray, let these folks take this home now and worship God there with their families. God, let it be real and genuine each moment of our life. If anyone here, Lord, doesn't know you personally, might this be the day that your son's death on the cross comes real to them. They see their need for you and they get to watch you work in their life. Father, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Folks, thank you so much. I hope you get home safe. We do have the live stream tonight at 6 p.m. So please make time for that. And Lord willing, we'll see you soon.